Welcome to Privacy Abbreviated, brought to you by BBB National Programs. As our regular listeners know, our goal here is to help business leaders prepare and operationalize for what's next in the privacy space. I am Donna Frazier, Senior Vice President of Privacy Initiatives at BBB National Programs. And once again, I am joined by my co-host, Jason Kronk, Chair and Founder of the Institute of Operational Privacy Design. Hello, Jason. Where are you? What are you doing? Hey, Donna. So I've stabilized a little bit. (laughs) I am uh, back in Florida, Uh, just returned from a trip to the Netherlands and Switzerland, got to see CERN and the Privacy Enhancing Technology Symposium. I do have a short trip scheduled in about a week. I'm headed out to the Symposium on Usable Privacy and Security, uh, keynoting a workshop there on privacy engineering and practice uh, and attending the Privacy Threat Modeling Workshop. And then I'll be back in Florida for a while. So yeah, but things are going great. Good, good. So thank you for squeezing this into your busy schedule. So hopefully you tuned into our last podcast where I met with Cobin's Weifel Keegan, who is the Managing Director of International Association of Privacy Professionals to talk about the new EU-US data privacy framework. The data privacy framework sort of sits in an interesting place. It's not a law obligating companies to comply, but rather a tool for U.S.-based organizations that want to do business in Europe and to help them meet the obligations of the laws in the European Union, which kind of brings us to our topic today. So, Jason, do you want to tell our listeners about our topic and our guest today? Yes, Donna. Today, we're going to be discussing hard law versus soft law. What we mean by that is privacy is governed by social norms. If I whisper something in your ear at a party, I probably don't want it announced to the room. But no law governs our behavior in that case. Laws and regulations often will instantiate social norms of behavior, but not all norms have made it into laws and regulations. Today, we're joined by Jameson Spivak, Senior Policy Analyst with the Future of Privacy Forum. Jameson works on issues related to extended reality, such as augmented and virtual reality. Prior to his work with the Future of Privacy Forum, he was at the Center on Privacy and Technology with Georgetown Law. Welcome, Jameson. Hey, Jason. Hey, Donna. Great to be here. Great. So so you haven't been at the Future of Privacy Forum very long, like a, a year, did I see? That's right. About a year. I started in September of last year. You know, that's a that's a great organization that Jules has created over there. I mean, there's some, some real thought leadership uh, coming out of that. So have you enjoyed your time there so far? I have. I, I've loved it. And I've been able to work with a lot of really amazing people like Donna and BBB National Programs as well. So I, I've, I've really enjoyed my time so far. And was your work at the Center on Privacy and Technology also about extended reality, or is this a new topic for you? This is a relatively new topic for me. When I was at the Center on Privacy and Technology, I focused a lot on police use of face recognition technology and some of the privacy concerns with that. So I did research on the privacy risks, as well as some advocacy. And so when I came to the Future of Privacy Forum, I, I had a little bit of a shift from focusing very specifically on police technology and and government use of of technology to more consumer-facing and specifically immersive technologies. So like you mentioned, virtual and augmented reality, virtual worlds and gaming platforms, neurotechnologies, and other similar technologies. So that's that's been kind of a a new and, and very interesting challenge for me. 
wait, so are you telling me there's privacy issues with facial recognition <laughs> by the police? <laughs> uh, just no, kidding there. No, so one, actually, <laughs> no one's talking about that. <laughs> that, that, uh, that ties into a little bit into our future topic. We're going to be talking about government purchase of commercial data. But today we are excited to talk about soft and hard law. Yep. Donna. So Jameson, let's start with your specialty, right? So there aren't any AR, VR specific laws or regulations that I am aware of. So where are businesses looking for guidance on the privacy expectations of consumers in this space? Yeah, that's a really great point. So as you mentioned, there are not immersive tech specific regulations. And this is because immersive technologies like extended reality are relatively new in the mass market consumer context. To the extent that we have privacy laws in the U.S., they're not generally written with these kinds of technologies in mind. But this doesn't mean that they don't apply to immersive technologies. It just means that policymakers weren't necessarily considering them when they wrote these laws. And so they're not necessarily always going to be fit for purpose in the context of immersive technologies. So in the absence of comprehensive federal privacy law or immersive tech-specific law, and given the fact that the current FTC has taken a more proactive role in asserting its enforcement authority, companies in the space are looking for guidance on best practices. They're looking at the FTC in the context of biometric technologies, in the context of youth privacy. They're looking at self-regulatory bodies like BBB National Programs and CARU. And they're also looking at industry groups and civil society organizations to help develop best practices. That said, there's a lot of intersection between immersive technologies and things that are regulated. So as I mentioned, biometrics and mm -hmm. children's safety and privacy. So companies that are trying to navigate this really complex environment and figure out things like, is it appropriate to use body-based data collected in XR to estimate a user's age for an age-appropriate design requirement? Does this raise any new risks? How can that risk be prevented? Or for example, is it appropriate to use geolocation information of children to institute uh, safety features? Um, these are the sorts of questions that don't really have clear answers. Mm -hmm. And to the extent that there is guidance from, from the FTC or from self-regulatory groups, it's, it's not always clear if they necessarily map as easily onto immersive technologies as they do in other contexts. Right. So I think the challenge that you're pointing out is that right now we have all these sectoral laws like COPPA, like HIPAA, where AR and VR may apply, but there is nothing overarching with regards to laws or regs with regards to, to AR, VR in, across different practice areas. So are you aware of any you know, organizations that are working on any models or standards or industry, industry practices for privacy in the AR, VR space? Yeah. So once again, the novelty of, of this technology in consumer markets means that the self-regulation tends to kind of be more on the voluntary industry-led side of the spectrum of if we're thinking about the spectrum of self-regulation from softer to harder. So you have trade associations like the XR Association, which represents companies in the XR industry. And the XR Association is starting to work on building some best practices and guidelines for their members. There's the Metaverse Standards Forum, right. which is focused on developing technical standards for immersive tech, but also has been working on privacy and safety a little bit. 
And then you have civil society organizations like XRSI, which is formerly the XR Safety Initiative, the XR Guild, the Responsible Metaverse Alliance that seek to develop best practices. And also a, a plug for my own organization, FPF. We are doing the work of convening stakeholders in the space, such as industry, civil society, academics, and researchers to start the conversation about developing best practices and trying to figure out how to operationalize some of the privacy principles like data minimization and purpose specification and purpose limitation and, and trying to think through what does that look like in practice for immersive technologies. So that's about it on the side of immersive tech-specific self-regulation. But as we mentioned before, companies operating in immersive experiences aren't completely shielded from, from regulation or right. self-regulation. So as you're very familiar with, Caru has, has been monitoring companies in, in terms of its advertising guidelines mm-hmm. and the Coppola Safe Harbor program. And so companies like Roblox that operate immersive experiences are not shielded from this regulation just because they operate an immersive environment. Right. And, and I will say at BBB National Programs under our KRU program, we are in the process of developing guidelines for operations in the metaverse environment, right? The, the challenges that companies are facing both on the advertising and privacy side and the intersection of privacy and advertising are extremely challenging mm. in that under 13 space. So we're working on it. We're working on it. Awesome. <laughs> Can I ask a question on, on that? Sure. And you might not be able to answer this, but will that be specifically with advertising in in immersive spaces or beyond it as well? So yeah, mostly leaning towards advertising guidelines, but building in privacy guidance as well, because I I think it's impossible to continue to have these very silo conversations about advertising and privacy, the the intersect, especially where the ad tech comes into play. And I've been saying this for some time, I think ad tech is somehow getting, they don't have a seat at the table oftentimes, right? They're flying under the radar in a lot of these conversations, which is troubling because they really are the apex here. They're right in between all of it, helping the advertisers serve their ads, but also need to be responsible for the privacy obligations of these same companies. And I find that we're not able to really engage with them the way that I would like to engage with them. So that's something that's really at top of mind for us. That's really great to hear because I've, I've heard consistently that a lot of organizations in the immersive space feel kind of lost and they, they want some, some guidance. So I'm, I'm really happy to hear that, that you're working on that. Jameson, I, I have to switch gears a little bit and talk about, so one of the areas I work in is the use of the NIST privacy framework. And listeners who heard our third episode this year should be familiar with this voluntary tool. I think it's a great example of something meant to promote privacy, but isn't necessarily a legal obligation. However, recently, Tennessee enacted a law that provides a safe harbor for companies using the NIST privacy framework, which puts its voluntary, very flexible tool in sort of a precarious position. Other laws similarly require like risk assessments, but without specifying the exact lines of risk not to cross. Do you have any thoughts on kind of this intersection where the law requires companies u- utilize something or do something, but lack specificity? That is a really great question. Sometimes these self-regulation principles and frameworks and best practices can influence or, or really guide hard regulations that come later, sometimes even being codified into the law. So the example that you gave is one. Another that I can give is in 2018, 
Future Privacy Forum published that privacy best practices for consumer genetic testing services. Two years later, in 2020, California passed the Genetic Information Privacy Act, which largely borrowed from FPS best practices. So this illustrates how principles and best practices that are developed early on in a technology's adoption process can inform and even guide policymaking that comes later. And it's also from the perspective of interested stakeholders, an opportunity to potentially influence law that comes later if they're involved in the process of self-regulation early on, with the understanding being that, that later on hard law might adopt some of the recommendations that were originally started in, in soft law. Yeah, I think it's important that industry is part of the conversation, right? I think one lesson that we learned at BBB National Programs is that oftentimes we are faced with questions and problems to solve. And we we will sit here in our little bubble and think about, wow, we think this is the best way to do it. And we can present that to regulators. We can pre- present it to legislators. If we don't have the buy-in of industry who says, you know what, we are willing to do this, it's never going to go anywhere, right? And, and we, we learned that lesson many, many years ago with several of our programs, one of them being KRU. Um, in 1996, KRU was in all of its monitoring for advertising compliance, started to see an issue with regards to data collection about children as it related to ads, created their privacy online guidelines, which became really the foundation of COPPA. And because companies had said, look, we see the urgency here, we're willing to comply with those guidelines, I think it gave momentum to COPPA that it may not have had. Of course, we can talk about all of the holes and gaps that exist in COPPA and continue to exist over the years, but it's one of those few laws that I think companies who are in the children's space are fully aware of, understand the the penalties involved with noncompliance, understand that Consumers also understand about it more so now than ever before because we just have so many more children engaged and because the appliance of COPPA beyond just mere websites, right, has expanded as the mediums have expanded and the touch points have expanded, whether it's an IoT, whether it's a mobile app, whatever it is. I mean, we're starting to even look at podcasts who have website presences there's COPPA issues there. So we're kind of looking at everything. So it's interesting that without industry buy-in, and you don't also want it to be fear-based, right? Because that doesn't move the needle either. So we've learned that in our conversations as well. Right. Yeah, I think another thing that self-regulation can do is play a role in clarifying what user expectations mm-hmm. are and where regulation might be headed. So self-regulation is, is really helpful with emerging technologies or business sectors where the technology might be stable, but the business practices are rapidly evolving, or there's not a consensus on what the best regulatory approach is. And we're sort of in that situation right now with, with privacy law. There's nine U.S. states that passed privacy legislation this year, a number of social media or youth-related tech laws. There's talk of a number of federal privacy bills being reintroduced this year. And so this uh, is where I think self-regulation can play a role in, in clarifying what user expectations are, where regulation might be heading because otherwise the companies are really uncertain about how they're going to be able to comply with all of these different laws with the knowledge that there might be three more you know, next year mm-hmm. and, and, and trying to, to be able to harmonize all of those. Right. So you've used the word compliance and I've used the word compliance a lot. And obviously that's one focus. 
what are some of the other benefits of looking at privacy beyond compliance, right? Because we can have a checklist of things and we can have companies check off that they comply with this, they comply with that. But I do think there's something beyond just mere compliance where soft law can assist where hard law can't. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think that especially in these kind of emerging areas where the the thorny questions, like I mentioned before about like, can you use face data to do age assurance when there's those really thorny questions self-regulation can play the role of asking like okay well even if it's legal to do that even if you are complying like should you be doing it is it appropriate to be right is it ethical right right is it appropriate to be using children's geolocation information to institute a safety feature and that's not that's not an easy question there's no right answer to that and there are different equities that you have to weigh and the the law doesn't necessarily say which is the right or it might say that you have to comply with both and it's impossible to comply with both i think it's a really fascinating topic how self-regulatory models and industry practices can lend itself as you said into hard law into laws and regulations, which then in turn, as I kind of mentioned, in turn leverages codes of conducts and certifications and other things that are industry practices. So it's kind of this this cycle. And privacy is such an evolving field. It's, it's interesting to see all the levers playing everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing that kind of comes to mind is that recent commitment from, I think, seven companies that were developing generative AI to agree to certain principles organized by the White House. And while these are technically voluntary, the FTC could potentially still hold them accountable for abiding by them because they're making representations in public about their products and services. So to me, this kind of seems like it's somewhere between soft and hard law because it's sort of self-regulation, but also it could have the potential impact that the FTC could enforce it. I think it's kind of a gray area, but it's a really interesting gray area. No, and I think you're, I think you're right. Uh, that's always uh, this kind of interesting aspect of the FTC's role is it may not be codified, but if you say you're going to do it, <laughs> you right. probably should do right. it. Yeah, you're looking at Section 5 violation, right, that you've made these express promises and that you're, you're not you're not keeping them, and they're looking. We know that this that this FTC commission is looking closely at what everybody's doing. Yeah, absolutely. So most of our listeners are kind of on the small to medium side. Do you have any advice of resources or you know, is there things that the FPF is putting out that might be relevant to smaller or medium sized businesses or other resources that uh, companies might look at? Obviously, I'll plug FPF, realizing that not everyone is or can be an FPF member, but we do put out a lot of of public-facing resources as well, analyzing various pieces of legislation, what we think it means for businesses uh, in terms of compliance, trying to understand where regulation is heading more generally. There are certain other entities and organizations that are putting out resources publicly. So I know Hinsey Laws has put out a lot of really great information about My Health, My Data Act in Washington, really wonderful blog posts breaking down what the potential implications of that law could be. Well, it's interesting that you bring up the health issue, right? Because one of the programs that we're building as a self-regulatory accountability program is in the health space, specifically addressing that, right? Because specifically addressing the 
non-HIPAA covered data and the complexities. I mean, this, this is now growing, expanding on a state level, it's becoming more and more complex and companies don't even realize what's not covered by HIPAA versus what is covered by HIPAA. And if you say health, people think HIPAA automatically and trying to you know, educate some industry and understand that there are ramifications of the data you're collecting that's not covered by HIPAA. There are other laws out there that you need to comply with and it's becoming more and more challenging. So we are trying to develop programs there. Right. And, and I think where soft law can help where hard law, you know, hard law is what it is. It's the, it's the law, I think, with soft law and with self-regulation. To your point earlier, we're able to not just think about compliance and helping companies be accountable and show their accountability, but also, I think, address those real ethical questions. And I think our goal always is to help companies actually figure out those conversations they need to be having internally as they're building products asking those questions that you may not think about that your CMO may have specific questions, your legal may have specific questions, but then there are questions that I think we try and help companies think about that are kind of on the outskirts that may not even fall within the framework of a law, but may likely come up either with consumer interaction or other things, right? So I, I think it's an opportunity to help companies really think about things in a broader way. Yeah, you, you mentioned this gap between HIPAA covered data and, and consumer health data, which until recently, the consumer health data wasn't specifically regulated. Right. And now we're seeing, we're seeing that changing. But one example that I think of in the immersive tech context is that, so, so BIPA in mm-hmm. Illinois, Illinois' biometric privacy law, they exempt not just HIPAA data from coverage, but also data collected from a healthcare setting, right. meaning that healthcare setting data that isn't covered by HIPAA wouldn't be covered either. Right. And so- in the immersive tech context, we've seen this with a court ruled in, in a case that sunglasses, it's not immersive tech specific, but courts ruled that sunglasses, trying on sunglasses is considered a healthcare setting because sunglasses protect from the wow. sun. And therefore, it is a healthcare setting, even though it's not in the context of a healthcare provider right. and patient relationship, and therefore it's not HIPAA covered. But because it's healthcare setting data, it's exempt from BIPA. So it's not covered by BIPA, nor is it covered by HIPAA. Um, That's interesting. I did not know that. Yeah, which is it's a gap that you would you would think that that data would fall within one of them, mm-hmm. but it doesn't. And so that's that's an example where there's a gap that right. you know, maybe maybe self-regulation could play play a role in having companies consider it data that is that they should provide notice of and, and get consent for anyways. So I'm going to throw a little bit of a, of a curveball in here and feel free to deflect if, if you don't think it's a, an appropriate question. But Lawrence Lessig once said, code is law. And privacy technology is certainly getting its day in the sun. And a lot of companies are investing in or, or, or researching privacy enhancing technologies. And there are some laws like GDPR that require companies to look at state of the art. What do you think this privacy technology aspect of, you know, how it affects this question of soft versus hard law? This, this might be a, a deflection, but I, I think that privacy enhancing technologies are play an important role in helping companies develop privacy practices that are not only maintaining compliance, but also achieving privacy principles like data minimization and purpose specification. But they're not a silver bullet that's going to solve all of the problems 
in privacy from, from regulation or from self-regulation. I think they're important, an important part of it, particularly things like end-to-end encryption and differential privacy and on-device processing, if, if you consider that a privacy-enhancing technology. Not the end-all be-all, but I think they are important. Donna, maybe you have more more thoughts than I do on this. No, I agree with you. I, I think it's gotten to the point where things are so complex that trying to figure out what all the belt and suspenders need to be for companies to really help them get to where they need to be, right? There is not one silver bullet, right? So y- using pets, using something else, whatever it is that companies can, I think, build to, to create an infrastructure that is not merely compliant, but again, is also ethical as well, because I, I do think that the conversation is going to start moving, especially in the health space, between not just what's legal, but what's ethical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, James, in this season, we're really trying to do something a little new with some of our guests. So our listeners may be familiar with Inside the Actor Studio, and there used to be a list of questions that James Lipton would ask at the end. So we've kind of put a little twist on that. So we're going to ask you a few fun and interesting questions. So the first one is, what is your favorite word? My favorite word? Wow. That's a, I'm stumped. My favorite <laughs> word. <sighs> Man, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of something, and the only the only ki- kinds of words that are coming to mind are <laughs> like privacy related or like immersive. I feel like ever since I started at FPF on immersive technologies, the word immersive <laughs> I see it everywhere. So I wouldn't say it's my favorite word, but it is the word immersive or immersed or mm-hmm. immersion. It's not my favorite word, but it is the word that comes to mind because yeah. I feel like I'm I'm seeing it everywhere yeah. now that I I'm working on it. <laughs> a good word. So if you thought that question stumped you, this one uh, will surely uh, do you in. Uh, what is your least favorite word? Mm, moist is pretty bad. <laughs> I think fam- famously, it's, a, it's bad. <laughs> That's a good one. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I would love to be uh, a perfumer. Oh, interesting. I, I don't have the, the background. I think you have to have like a master's degree in chemistry but Mm -hmm. maybe in another life (laughs) that'd be nice that's interesting and what profession would you avoid at all costs probably like an accountant or something like that (laughs) something math related or or specifically accountant okay so something like with hard numbers hard numbers yeah yeah you'd rather work with soft numbers (laughs) (laughs) exactly Touche, Jason. Last question. If any problem in the privacy landscape could be solved for tomorrow, what would you want it to be? Man, finding a model other than notice and choice for data collection, usage, and sharing. Mm -hmm. Great. Great answers. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining us today, James. It's a really good conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks again, Jameson. It was uh, wonderful chatting with you and getting to learn about your work there at the FPF and AR VR stuff. Yeah, and for our listeners, we will be sure to point to um, resources that you can find on the FPF website as well. So I appreciate everyone for listening to us today. As always, if you've missed any of our previous episodes, please check them out at accountabilitystudios.org, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. And be sure to leave us a message and let us know what you'd like to hear next on Privacy Abbreviated. Thank you so much. Mm